Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Life's defining moments don't always feel that great when they are happening. In the moment, they can feel challenging, uncomfortable, difficult, impossible even. But with hindsight, they can take on a different shape. Each week, I ask my guests to share their biggest life learnings to date as we explore those difficult, swampy, infuriating times and how they shaped them, all from a comfortable distance that's afforded them the time to take the positive out of what might have seemed nothing but negative at the time. Because whether it's risks, excuses, obstacles, opportunities, both missed and taken, successes, regrets, curveballs, weaknesses, strengths, and perhaps the hardest lesson of all, being wrong, they are the reason they are the person they are today. The person sitting in front of me on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show. My guest today is Dean Piper, one of the most familiar names and faces in the media world. For 12 years, he was the celebrity showbiz columnist working at the notorious and infamous 3AM column under the then editor Piers Morgan before writing for Closer Magazine and the Sunday Mirror. He has attended every red carpet event you can imagine with AAA and VVIP access, has broken hundreds of exclusives and has rubbed shoulders with everyone from P. Diddy and Britney Spears to Jennifer Lopez. Today, he runs his own PR company, Beat Communications, where there is only one rule. Don't work with dicks. Dean grew up in Hampton and his journalism career started at the Sutton Guardian before working on the UK's best-selling newspapers and magazines. Though celebrity journalism may look like a lot of fun, Dean's experience began to change with the advent of social media and a newer style of public flogging that build them up to tear them down kind of coverage that took what had previously been fun and lighthearted into much darker territory. Dean decided to walk away. He took everything he had learned from his time as a columnist and writer to create his own PR company and now works with the likes of Melanie Chisholm, yep, that's Sporty Spice, Health and Fitness Retreat The Body Camp and London's chicest restaurant, Langens Brasserie. In the wake of the vitriol that has been heaped on so many people in the media, most recently with intensity at Meghan Markle, Dean is calling out the three Ps, the paparazzi, the publications and the public to try to end the vicious pantomime that plays out every day in the press and on social media. Mm-hmm. Dean Piper, it is such a pleasure to have you on the Emma Gunn Show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's nice to be reunited. Isn't it? Because yeah. it's, been, it's been a gazillion years mm. uh, since I was at showbiz parties never the never the really really good ones we did it all (laughs) we did it all and all the scars do you have scars from that time um do you know what i kind of feel like we do have scars. i mean i feel as a journalist as a a celebrity journalist especially Mm -hmm. i feel like there's certain moments that we've definitely 
realised that we played a big part in, you know, the the downfall of people or the reporting of people's mental episodes or uh, or their deaths. Ultimately, mm. you know, we've been through a lot, haven't we? Jake Goody, uh, we've watched Britney Spears, we've had Caroline Flack. Mm. It's been it's been a lot, and I feel like when you actually step out of celebrity journalism and the showbiz world and really just look back at it you do have this kind of cathartic process that you have to go through and realize that you are kind of part of the problem um and that's been that's been a process and you know i i always find it weird when people are still doing the job that we did because i would not want to be doing this right now no way would i want to be in celebrity journalism or have aspirations to have done what i did i'm very very pleased that we did it when we did it because we didn't have the pressure of social media and and this you know, we kind of rode the wave for a good 10 years as as people and as human beings and definitely realising that we were part of that issue is something that you come out with. I think so as well. And I think, I think we went in, I don't know why you went in and actually I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you why. I know that I wanted to work on a celebrity magazine and write about beauty products because I wanted to hang out with famous people and be pretty. <laughs> yeah. It was and you very, did that very, very well. Bless your heart. Darling. It was very <laughs> superficial. My reason for getting... I wanted to be close to the sun, for want of a sort of silly metaphor. I wanted to be near celebrities. And that was kind of it. Was that yours? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a great uncle who sadly passed away a little while ago. And he was an actor in Hollywood. And he was on the board of the Oscars. And, <gasps> you know, I kind of feel like... How old are you? 45. Okay, so we're kind of in the same bracket. I'm 43 this year. And I feel like we were that generation, the first kind of generation where there was a massive change, like a seismic change with Mm. celebrity. You know, we grew up with Kylie and Jason and this era of the super young, you know, huge amount of celeb fame where it wasn't just talent. It was changing to a celebrity, which Mm. doesn't necessarily have to involve talent as we learn. And we kind of went through with Big Brother and reality and the big changes that came with that celebrity world. So it it definitely feels, it feels like it was a moment in time. I think it was a moment in time. And I remember the photographer, I think it was Terry O'Neill did a um, exhibition in London and someone told me about it and it was called Celebrity Mm. and I think the opening night or something he gave a talk and said Celebrity fundamentally changed with Princess Diana because she made royalty which has previously been completely inaccessible accessible and that opened the floodgates for everything which is now you see today just like someone dancing in their living room can have a million followers on TikTok. Yeah I mean I definitely think that when I'm looking back on it um you know, there were reasons why I left, which I'm sure we'll chat about. But, you know, I I think that it kind of got to the point where I just wasn't really very happy. And I just, it, it felt shady. The whole industry was changing to the point where, you know, I'm sure that, you, I don't know whether you experienced this in your journalism career, but the headlines being written before you'd done the interview. And mm. it, it just got to the point where it was being a puppet master behind the scenes far too much for my liking and I I, unfortunately I have too many morals to do that job yeah and actually one might have assumed that you didn't well that was the whole point because you know a lot of people that were there in the tabloid world and dealing with celebrity culture you know they didn't really have morals and there were a lot of things that you went through and you were asked to do that did not agree with what you stood for Mm. you know I was kind of thinking about 
us talking today and thinking, what should I actually say when it comes to the industry and what we kind of went through? But, you know, I know that I was asked to do insane things. You know, one publication, the news editor wanted me to deliver flowers to a soap star that had a bug in them. And then they wanted to book me into a hotel room next door and record it all and write everything down. And I flat refused and said, no, I will not be doing that. My gosh. But I'm surprised that you're shocked by that because that was a really normal way of celebrity journalism working back then. So for the context for you, listeners... You weren't in the same role as what I was. So you had a, da- was it a daily column. Uh, well, yeah. So initially when I first started, I was with the 3AM girls. Mm-hmm. So it was, the, you know, the original 3AM girls, which was fabulous. You know, it was they were naughty and they were so outspoken. And it was the first time that we'd really seen female columnists mm. in a national newspaper that really, they ruled the roost. You mm. know, they were being written about in Vanity Fair. They were... They were people were scared of them, you know, going to the party. You went to a party and you saw one of the three M girls. You were on your best behavior. Yeah, they were like, "Oh God, they've walked in." You know, behind the scenes, it was oh God, it was like a bit like being in a really weird kind of bullying club. I think we were all going mad and we were all working at all hours under the mm. sun. We were out till three in the morning and we were at our desk by ten latest. You know, there was not there wasn't a moment for us to kind of step out. Um, it it was a moment in time for sure. And mm. it's not something that is, is repeated now. Mm. Um so yeah, it was it was full on. So that was what you were just you were out every every day. I every was the night. assassin, yeah. the secret assassin of three AM. So, you know, everyone thought they could go to China White and they were fine because the girls weren't there. Oh no, I was there. <laughs> writing down everything in my Nokia ninety two ten or whatever it was <laughs> called and texting the boss or texting Piers or texting Kevin O'Sullivan and telling them you know, what went on? So my experience, just to put it into context as to yeah. why I was shocked, is I worked on a glossy magazine where we worked with the celebrities. Yeah. So we did at homes, we did bump and baby shoots. Mm. And we we were kind of, we were the ones who would only write the nice stories. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, when people got paid by these magazines. and Huge numbers. You know, even when I was at Closer, we were kind of in between those tabloid mm. columns and where OK and Hello and mm. those mags were because we we would still go out on the hunt for the celebrity stories. And I did a column called Mr. Showbiz and it was all you know, <laughs> very like, oh, look, I'm posting with more celebrities. But, you know, it, it was a real mix between mm. snooping and getting there and, you know, listening, to, overhearing conversations and using contacts to get those stories as well as the... I don't know, paying Kerry Katona another 25 grand to take her clothes off and do a nude shoot. You know, it was it was kind of ghastly, wasn't it? It was so ghastly <laughs> when you think about the numbers that got through. And, what, and I think you said it before, you would have, particularly in the magazine that I worked for, because there was big money. So the big money, the big ticket features were weddings, babies, engagements. Yeah. And there would be times where you'd think, are you really in love with this person? Yeah. What, is this engagement really happening? And then sometimes you'd have bump shoots and you'd be like, that's another baby very quickly. Yeah. And you became quite sceptical. Yeah. I mean, I went, I remember I went to one of OK's biggest weddings, which was Jordan and Peter Andre's wedding. 
I was there too. <laughs> I know. And I remember getting so much shit. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> shit. Um, no, because I'd, you know, I was working at Closer, but I'd become, you know, I'd worked with Katie for many years and got to know her really well. Mm. And that whole machine behind her that kind of really drove those mm. years of celebrity where, you know, th- they were really orchestrating the storyline to the the client's personal life, which then enabled them to get huge amounts of money i mean we're talking massive yeah it would be even yeah definitely when you added it all up Mm. and the the amount that these agents were making um and it went on for years and years so it always kind of makes you go what on earth happened when you watch someone like katie price now that's struggling for money and Mm. is on the bankruptcy list and you're kind of going well how we can come on to that in a minute yeah i think what's very interesting is that you have you took a swift exit yeah and actually you've really reflected on what you did and i it's only since reading your post about uh megan markle and about uh, yeah. the attack thinking have i actually really ever sort of taken stock of my part in this um and i think that's what you've done really well so i like to start the conversation by asking my guests about the biggest risk that they've ever taken um but let's start with what your relationship is like with risk. Uh, with risk, do you know what? I've always had this this really strange, very easygoing approach to risk. I'm not really phased by much. And a lot of my you know, relatives, especially my mum and my dad, to be honest, they as, as we were growing up and I started you know, dilly-dallying with the journalism world and really kind of jumping from career to not career, from title to title, mm-hmm. Um, I remember my mum very, <laughs> like, making a real point of saying it. She said, Dean, she was like, I really don't worry about you. Like, she never really worried. She said, you're always going to fall on your feet. I, I just know that. And that's kind of true. It's, I'm, I'm really, I don't know whether that's a great thing to have, but I don't panic about, you know, jumping, bought, jumping ship on something. I don't panic about it because... I don't know, I've kind of got this outlook that life is very short and that we have to, if you don't take risks, you're never really going to keep moving Mm. forwards. You know, there's so many opportunities in life to become very comfortable. Mm. I don't particularly like to be too comfortable, especially not with a career. Mm. And that might have, you know, that might have meant that I've not gone as far, you know, let's be honest, comparison's like the biggest form of evil. And I've looked at, you know, those journalists that we all know that were pitted against me and we all became enemies Mm. and they've all gone on to do other stuff. And for whatever reason, you know, their careers have gone one way, but ultimately I'm really happy. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. And I don't want to be one of those people, you know, I look at the people that I was, you know, up against column wise and I look at what they're doing with their career and I just think I've, really fucking not like to be doing what they're doing right Mm. now because I feel like there's morals that are in the wrong place they're working for publications where I'm like you know they're they're getting completely ripped apart on social media by so many people I just wouldn't be able to cope with that Mm. I kind of want a bit more of an easy life yeah but so I like risk yeah you like risk (laughs) I'm not scared by it and I don't I kind of feel like that's a really nice quality to Mm. have I think what your mum said is actually um (laughs) It could work as a really good uh, way to empower somebody. If you just say, I don't worry about you, you can instill a a real sense of confidence in someone in a really subtle way. That was a really brilliant seed to sow. And and that's definitely, 
you know, even when I left journalism, I, I didn't, some people would have been freaking out, but I wasn't. And actually kind of walked away from, from it and went, cool, next, <laughs> which is really <laughs> Thank good. Thank you, next. No, I know, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, next. So you've said that your biggest risk were both times that you quit your job. Yeah. And with both of them, was there nothing to go to? Uh no, there wasn't. I mean, the first time was when I was at 3am. And to be honest, I'd just been worked to the bone, mm. to the point of I was exhausted, like really mentally exhausted. And there was, you know, we were all arguing behind the scenes at 3am. And I was just worn out. They just they just sent me to too much. And unfortunately, I didn't know how to say no to a good party. And thank God in those days, there's quite a few good things. I'm really glad that I didn't like enjoy the party too much and get too involved. And, you know, a lot of people in journalism were sinking into addictions and mm. really struggling to get out of things, especially back then, mm. you know, because you're going to all these parties. Sure, they're great. It's brilliant. It's so bloody glamorous. You're mm. being sent to Cannes and you're next to Pamela Anderson, who's getting into a swimming pool wearing a caftan, a see-through caftan, and you just... Ooh. You you yeah, have yeah. these moments where you just go, fucking hell, what's mm. going on? I was 21, 21 years old, yeah. and I had no idea who Piers Morgan was. I didn't care. As far <laughs> as I was concerned, I'd just come from a local newspaper. He might as well have been the same. You know, I mm. didn't have aspirations to be some huge journalist. I didn't have the pressure that came behind the scenes, which really stood me in good ground, I think. But you know that... A lot of people, myself included, looked at you in that job and assumed <laughs> that you had orchestrated it. I had no idea that that's how you thought. I definitely have preconceptions about you that I think are going to be blown apart during <laughs> this conversation. Just because I thought, I thought you were an apex predator who would go to events and like a great white shark, you would hunt. And then that's how you'd get your stories and then you'd go <laughs> and write them up. And... Actually, that's such an unfair way to describe you. I, I kind of feel ultimately my journalism career at the beginning, I didn't really know how it was, how how I fitted in mm. because I'm a normal person and I'm not, I'm, I'm not from a family background. You know, we lived really normally. We didn't really have that much money. We had enough, but mm. we weren't an affluent family or, you know, we all know people that have got into the job because of their parents mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. the Nepo thing. It's... <laughs> There's a lot of people that can get in very easily, mm. but I'm, I'm pretty normal. I had to work. Mm. And also I was pretty shit writing wise at the beginning. You know, peers got me in there when I'd failed half of my journalism exams. And I was like, Piers, but I finished this. I, the reason I got in was because I'd been sent to Pride of Britain and I'd interviewed, I think it was Beck. Oh, God knows who it was. I think it was Beckham and I think it was Sir Paul McCartney. And I got really nice quotes and they mm. saw me work in the room and I had no, I just, I could go up to anyone and realize they were human beings and it wasn't really that big a deal. Mm. Afterwards, I'd kind of freak out slightly in my, my own head, but I was fearless and that really stood me in good ground. Did Piers ever explain to you why he gave you the job? Because it was a, it was a big job. It was a big job, especially at 21. But I think, you know, there were elements of working with peers that I think are absolutely fantastic because a, he was a brilliant editor. He was so supportive. And I think to this day, everyone that I know doesn't really have a bad word to say about him. I've never met anybody who worked with Piers Morgan who has a bad word to He's say. just so supportive. And you always felt like you had a proper editor. Mm. There, You know, there were certain things where I 
my eyebrow would raise slightly, mm. um, which we're not going to go into. But um, I see him now and we've still got a really good relationship. And there's, you, know, you can say what you like about him, but working for him is a different story. Mm. What um, you mentioned there about the parties and getting sucked into it. Yeah. What stopped you from getting sucked into the debauchery, which um, I think is what you're alluding to. Yeah, I think so. I think there's two things that stopped me because because of my upbringing being so normal, I wasn't ever going to go down that route of, I don't know, I wasn't ever going to stitch up people really badly. I've only ever done that a few times in my career. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not really that fussed about the people that it was anyway. Was it uh, accidental? Uh, do you know what? It wasn't accidental. Do you want me to go into it? Yeah. Okay. We'll start with Mylene Class. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, so me and Mylene were really, really good friends. We were hanging out a lot. You know, she she was having kids and I, I knew her really well. I was hanging out at her house. We had a real friendship and it had been going on for years from when I'd started journalism. Um, and then she split up with Grey with her husband and I was at the Sunday Mirror. And the story was kind of being fed to me from Mylene about what was going on. And it was obviously going to be a front page story. And that was obviously good because at that time it was about sales and it was going to be the front page. So please as punch. And then legally, um, the lawyer, just, just as we were going to print, said, OK, have you been to grave for the right of reply? Because it was just when you had to start mm. really enforcing your right of reply into your stories. And I was like, oh, no, not yet. I had his number, obviously, because we were all friends. Um. And so I got in touch with him and he picked up the phone and he kind of went, this is just bollocks, Dean. Like, I, you're obviously writing what Mylene wants. And I was like, well, that's not what I'm doing. I'm coming to you because I need to balance this out and mm -hmm. work out where we are. He gave me a quote, which obviously went against what she'd said. Mm. And then I got in touch with her PR, who kind of thought was a friend, but I'm not so sure. And he's just said... She's never going to fucking speak to you again. I can't believe that you've done this. You know, her agent at the time called me a C word down the phone afterwards. Wow. And she's never spoken to me since. And I thought that that was kind of weird because I thought that we were mates. Mm. You know, she, she'd she given me some artwork. We'd been shopping together. I'd introduced her to different people. You know, we were proper mates. Um, and I really struggled with that for quite a long time because I kind of went... I don't know, it just made me feel like shit, basically. Mm. Um, I ended up auctioning the artwork that she gave, gave me, actually, for a kid's cancer charity because I couldn't bear to look at it anymore. So, look, at least that's helped out some kids. Yeah, it really hurt, though. It hurt. Yeah, it really hurt. It really did. Um, then there's an, there's another one with Jay Jagger, which was so annoying because I kind of did stitch her up and I, I was... It was one of those days where your story fell down mm. and she told me something. I'd only just met her as well. Um, and she told me something and it was all I had to, to replace my column lead. And obviously I immediately broke the trust that I had with her. Mm. And that was a huge thing of what I did because I balanced between the celebrity and the paper. And I was on a, a tightrope walk in mm. between um, and making sure that I didn't. You can't do that. It's a small industry. Mm. Um, and in those days, there weren't there weren't a million people, were there? It was a much smaller celebrity oh, world it, it was, was like we pool. saw the same people every night when we we're on those red carpets absolutely i'd see you like four times a week we'd be like, <laughs> hi 
Here again. Hello. Yeah. You again. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, I mean, I'm now appreciating something that I didn't before, which is that you were really walking a tightrope. Yeah. That's how I felt for the, for the whole of my celebrity career. And to be honest, that's definitely one of the reasons that I, I wanted to step out because, you know, I was going to people that become very good friends. I was going to their weddings abroad. Mm. And I'd have Tina Weaver from the Sunday Mirror <laughs> calling me going, yeah, where are you, darling? And I'd be like, I'm on holiday. And she'd be like, you're not in Marrakesh, are you? And I'd be like, no, 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 I'm in Ibiza. Um, and obviously I was in Marrakesh at a celebrity wedding, but I'm, I wasn't going to tell them that because the, the blurred lines mm. became a real issue. Mm. Um, and I know that I'm not, a, I'm not one of those journalists that were going to, Put their career and put everything that um, everything that they were first. That wasn't me. I'm just not that person. So when you did leave, yeah, with nothing to go to, did you feel as though those relationships that you'd made were the thing that would catch you? Not not financially or anything like that, but did you feel that you were you were falling in the right direction? When I left, a hundred percent. And to be honest. You know, they're my friends who are people of note and faces and everything. They were they were being really supportive behind mm. the scenes. They were saying, you know, you've kind of done this now, but we love you mm. and we want you to be part of our lives and in this circle. But in this capacity, we're going to stumble mm. and it's going to be tricky. But you need to realize that there's a bigger world out there. You know, to start with, I became freelance thinking I'd give that a go. <laughs> Ooh, geez, like being a freelancer. It's not something that I would recommend to anyone, really, mm-hmm. especially now with every title dying on its ass. Mm-hmm. It's not a situation you really want to be in because th- there's not enough work. No. <laughs> really? Yeah. You know, I think we were fairly similar because we both freelanced. Mm-hmm. You probably still do. Not really. Not really. Not really bother. Um, but, you know, when I did, I had great contacts. Mm. I had great people who I could rely on, but it still wasn't really enough. Well, it's interesting because talking about making the leap and your friends who are probably people that have been in your pages before yeah. saying kind of at some point this, you are going to have to make a decision. And it was clear which way you were going to jump anyway. Yeah. But as you discovered with the Mylene thing, uh, not everyone is a true friend. The first um, first time I ever did a photo shoot with one of the star photographers, it was brilliant. She was so she wasn't that much older than me, but she was just very wise. And she and it was I was so excited to be going on an at home photo shoot with a celebrity. And she <laughs> said, "One word of advice: these people are not your friends. Don't yeah. don't fall for it." Yeah. And so I'm guessing that some people did disappear and some people actually really stuck around. Is yeah. that, was that your experience? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, there were, when you leave the celebrity world and when you leave a job where you've got power, mm. that's when you learn who your friends are. That's when you learn, you know, the people that there were people PR wise that I'd speak to probably every day. who I've not fucking heard of since. <laughs> They just never, you know, it's, and it's fine. I get it. I really get it. But is I, it fine though? Do you know Does what? Does it, it hurt? It, it definitely hurt, but it's definitely something that I've worked through and I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose sleep over it now. Mm. And to be honest, 
you just realise that there's a lot more to life. I don't know whether it's just we're at the age that we are and we're, mm-hmm. we've really not got the fucking time to deal with all of this <laughs> rubbish where we're panicking about what people think of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, we know we're nice people. We know that we're not, you know, people that are, have got bad intentions. Mm-hmm. And I can live with that. And if that means that someone's not going to speak to me or, you know, it's going to say shit behind my back, which, you know, let's be honest, this industry, you always hear what's said behind your back, which I do like about it. It does. It does always get back to you. Always gets back. Always have to comfort myself with the fact that imagine if it happened, it it happens in every single industry. (sighs) And at least this one is one I want to be in. Yeah. At least it's not happening to me at a bank where I'd be terrible because I am terrible with numbers. Yeah. A hundred percent. And also, you know, timing wise, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but social media and where, where the whole industry was in the pace and the way it was moving, Mm. celebrity journalism wasn't what it was. It was like, we were just talking about by the time I'd left, which is 10 years ago, just this two weeks ago, 10 years ago. Congratulations. Thanks. (laughs) I'm really happy about that one. Um, But you know, as we were le- as I was leaving, I was writing about what had been tweeted the night before. The Kardashians were just breaking through. Mm. All we cared about was Cheryl Cole. Celebrity has is really universally changed. Mm. It's tenfold changed. I mean, look at Cheryl. She's on stage now, and she's just gone. And you know, she's becoming an actress, and mm. she's getting her first reviews and doing that. But the power and the, the the power of the celebrity interview has just died. I can't remember the last interview that I read celebrity-wise that was a game-changer that made me go, oh, my God. You don't reserve anything for, or celebrities don't reserve anything for print press anymore. Yeah. I mean, maybe sometimes there's a great Rolling Stone interview. I think the the Johnny Depp one was was amazing because mm. you got a real, a real insight into that person and it was extraordinary. I mean, it was mm. like dealing with was something that you just couldn't make up. Mm. Um, But if I've got a celebrity client and I'm telling them what to do, then I always tell them to do a podcast because I'm like, your quotes are not messed with. The way you're saying it can always go back to the source. Mm -hmm. And also you don't have to have some snidey journalist ripping you apart or doing their, their feature interview. And they still happen today and it really pisses me off. Why are editors so obsessed with their being... 16 paragraphs of what this person thinks of this celebrity Mm. and then two paragraphs of quotes Mm. it should be the other way around because you're trying to get this voice it's it just feels like snidey celebrity journalism to me it just doesn't feel there's nothing in i remember when you used to open up a magazine like close or whatever and you'd and it would be every single par would just be packed full of something that you hadn't heard before yeah and now I just barely even read. I mean, I do still look at certain newspaper apps and I'm like, just for mild entertainment. And I'm I'm never entertained. Yeah. I'm always just like, this is poor writing or this is just really basic. I, and I, I agree with you. I think it all changed and it became quite choreographed and manufactured, I think. You mentioned the Kardashians. Yeah. That's, that's celebrity on celebrities' terms. Yeah. It's completely different from what you and I engaged with back in the day. Yeah, I mean, look, there's definitely, I I don't want to pick apart closer, but there was a period in time where I was feeling really, I was feeling comfortable because I felt like I was a little bit under a spell when it came to the way that we were treating women, especially on these covers. Mm. 
you know, it's quite hard to look back on that because I actually feel a responsibility about the way that we treated these celebrities that were pretty much going through eating disorders, you know? You're talking about Bones Are Back. Yeah. So Bones Are Back was a real moment. And do you know what? It's something that just, it really sticks out in my head because um, it was Tori Spelling, Nicole Ritchie, Kira Knightley. I'd met Kira that, that week and I had mm. my picture with her. And sure, you know, she was a girl that when you met her, the way that her body was, she's tiny up top, mm. but she's she's not down below. Like she's she looks healthy, mm. but the way the pictures are, the way that it all came out, shoulder blades are plenty. And I was hung over to... God knows what, and I've been at Bougie or something, and I <laughs> rolled into the conference meeting. God knows if I got any sleep or not. Had my shades on, and I just took them off, and there were all these pictures of these girls, and I went, "Ugh, bones are back," and put my shades back on. <laughs> Thought nothing of it. Jane Johnson, the editor, used that as the cover line, but the the really hard thing was that it was one of the biggest selling covers they've ever done. Mm. It said bones are back. And there were three women that were dealing with fame, dealing with the industry. Clearly, something was amok because Mm -hmm. they weren't, you know, they were so thin when you saw them in real life. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a a hell of a lot of eating disorders around. Mm -hmm. But that was because I was in a stupid hungover mood and I made a quip. But I think it's really interesting what you say now in that, yes, you made a quip. And it was once the toothpaste was out of the tube, there was nothing you could do. Yeah. So that was your part in it. But the public. But it's the public. It's the reaction. It's the fact that it sells. But I don't feel like, I feel like the, there's a conversation here just about what what responsibility the public should be taking. Because whereas back then they were selling 750,000 copies, mm-hmm. that you know, that doesn't happen now. Closer as a magazine hasn't really changed that much. If you read it, it's still doing the same old tricks. Mm. You know, the naked, the naked celebrity with the jewels on and talking about their plastic surgery. It's, it's really not changed. It's not come far at all. Oh, I haven't read a celebrity magazine in no, 10 I know, years. No, I know. Well, I mean, a bit of hello now and again, but that's just mm. because, you know, it's nice and cuddly. Mm. Um, but uh, now the power of the public is even more so because they're the ones that are, with social media and they're following their stars and they're doing what they're doing. They've got the cancel culture. It's still the powers and the person. Mm. So, you know, it's fine. We can all read about Meghan and Harry or whoever these people are that are constantly saying it's the media's fault. Mm. But where I stand right now and what I say to a lot of my clients is stop giving a fuck about what is going on with the papers and the magazines. It's chip paper and they're all dying on their ass. Mm care about what is happening with the audience there and why are the public constantly obsessing about i don't know i i get it sometimes the sun or rupert murdoch or newsing and then you look at it and you're like yeah but (laughs) you're the ones that are in control you're the ones fueling all of this Mm. so stop blaming the media because the faceless people on social media they're the people that were battering the lights of Caroline Flack when she was having a hard time mm. which ultimately was via ITV but the public were the ones that were DMing her and you know there's a lot of pressure that the public are putting on themselves they're also their own content creator i've i mean tiktok's a funny beast because it it will show you random things to it. see what I you know. watch yeah and i've seen some truly vicious vicious commentary from people and you look and it's and it's like the 
the followers, the likes, the comments, it's in the thousands. Yeah. And it's stuff that would never, I mean, the Jeremy Clarkson uh, column is a, I think was a, is a real anomaly, to be honest. Yeah. In terms of how vile it was. But that's happening every single day from faceless accounts on Instagram and Twitter, that yeah. kind of level. Because I think what was so shocking about Jeremy Clarkson, I'll link to it in the show notes, unfortunately, but well, maybe I won't. But he <laughs> he basically said that he hated Meghan Markle so much he'd like her to be publicly humiliated and walk naked down the street having excrement thrown at her, which is a bit strong. You think? Mm -hmm. how, you the, how did that get How did Well, that we've get been through? there. We know what happens on that. And, you know, when I posted about that, I've been there and I, I've had all the, mm. the proofs and I know that it's probably gone through 40 people mm. before it's gone to print. So what does that say? What does that say about the women that are working at these titles and is, are letting that kind of shit go in the paper? Mm. And, it, you know, that's the first time that I've actually got really angry about mm. it. And don't forget, I know all these posh people that live in Oxfordshire and I go to all these parties and I see Jeremy at parties and I'm like, if I know that he's going to be there... I don't want to be in the same room, you know, but it's, it's awkward because I don't feel pe people are, I don't know. I just, I can't believe that that's making it to print. Mm. And you know what? I was even annoyed afterwards because I was annoyed with ITV and I was annoyed with Amazon because I was like, grow some bloody balls. I know why they didn't make those statements and say that they weren't going to work with them because they've shot the shows already. Mm. They've made all of that expense. If they like, you know, publicly denounce their own programs, then they've lost a lot of money mm -hmm. and nobody can really afford to do that. But grow some fucking balls. If you don't believe in something and it's not standing up for where you are in life, you've got to start making a point. Mm -hmm. And Jeremy really made the wrong point and it's not acceptable. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh. There's a there's a cancel culture, but there's no accountability culture. Yeah, which I find very. It's not you can't hold people to account. You just have to cancel them, and it doesn't feel like that's where it should be. No, it shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be there at all. But God, it's it's again the cancel culture is the public, and it's their power, isn't it? It's mm. they're the ones that are able to do it. I the way I see it, the media is the one. They're just following up what's happening online from the public. Chasing sales. They are, because they know that if something's becoming that conversation, then it's going to be something that's going to work for sales. Mm. And it also it's clickbait and, you know, the way that celebrity online news works. God, it's so dull. Mm. So dull. The amount of times that there's been, you know, look inside Angelina Jolie's house and you click on it and it's got a picture of a lamp in the background of a post oh. on social media. And I'm like, guys, like... That's what kids are getting into celebrity journalism for. Mm. <laughs> what, to sit there and do 14 crap stories a day to talk about going inside someone's house and there's a lamp. A Google image search. It's it's yeah. so appalling. It's not great. Is there, looking back, obviously you left and you left and it was like you're never looking back. But as you 
were getting to that period of leaving, were there, were you justifying what you were doing in any way? Would you make an excuse for yourself and think, well, this is okay because... God, it's it's quite tricky, isn't it? Because obviously you look monetary-wise and you go, oh, I'm in a good job and I've got, you know, a nice salary. I could have cruised. I could literally still be in that job right now and still earning fairly all right money and surviving. But that's not... Do you think you would be surviving, though? Uh well, mentally I, and emotionally. Mentally, I definitely wouldn't. Hundred mm. percent, because it was getting to the point where it was too difficult. Um, and also, the industry's just changed so much. There's no fun left in it anymore, is there? You know, we just used to have so much fun. That was what made the whole industry and the celebrity bearable. Because mm. we'd, you know, I was, I had no right to complain, and I didn't complain. I was being flown around the world. I was going to the Oscars. I was at Elton John's party. I met every celeb I ever wanted to. I had a cocktail with Madonna, which, to be honest, was probably the only reason I wanted to get to the mirror in the first place. So I ticked a lot of boxes. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's not like that now. See, I said that I wanted to be close to celebrities. You had a very specific goal, which was to get close to Madonna. Literally. And I tell you what, <laughs> after I met her properly, as with a friend of mine, and I ran down the street. I literally had to run to the tube station because I was so hyped by mm. meeting this one person I'd, you know, wanted to meet all my life. Did it live up? I don't How can it live it, up to expectation? It did. Yeah, it kind of lived up to expectation. I was annoyed because she wasn't wearing a good outfit. <laughs> <laughs> she was wearing a really kind of granny style outfit. It oh, was, was it for the, du- the WE film. Do you remember when oh, she was yes. very proper? Yes, yes. And, you know, and it was it was fine. Is it when she had her English accent? She was kind of just phasing out there, right. that, that faux American English thing. Um, so it was great. And obviously it's Madonna. And I've got the picture right next to a picture of my mum on my mantelpiece <laughs> because they both raised me. Mm. But would I want to go to Madonna concert now? Uh-uh. You wouldn't? No, because what has happened? Social media has affected her. Yes, that's true. She is a damaged person. She's an icon. And all we're seeing is that she's having tons of surgery and she's she's it's not about her being a woman it really annoys me with the whole women and aging conversation i'm not ageist and it's not about being sexist because she's a woman she's madonna she's the strongest woman known to man she's been through it all but i kind of feel like the image of madonna that we had which was so perfect wasn't Mm. it the lighting you know the the creative direction i feel like it's all dispersed i feel like you know we're not seeing we're seeing the real roots of where she is. And it's, it's distorted now. Yeah. And also it kind of, it's the scream for help in a way. I don't, you know, she, she just looks like she's at home trying filters on and trying to get people to talk to her. It feels creepy and weird. Mm. Um, and then we go to people like Britney Spears, which is another conversation. And I know that it's brilliant that she's got some some kind of conservative a conservatorship taken off the table but have you ever seen a woman that looks more like she's in a crisis mentally than what she's doing daily on social media i keep reading all sorts of conspiracy but why theories are we not now. why is no one we're not able to say what we think mm. because we'll get cancelled or someone's gonna rip us apart on social media mm. um, that's not really right it's like we're watching someone who looks like she could be in just as much turmoil. Mm. And we've sat through that. I remember being there when she shaved her head. And, 2007. Yeah. And we were going through that and we were, 
profiting on her mental illness. How do you reconcile yourself with that now? Because, as you said, we both went through that golden age of celebrity journalism from different positions. But there's absolutely no denying that the people that we covered and interviewed, you and I have both met Brittany, we've both interviewed, I've not met Madonna, but we've both interviewed a lot of the same people. Amy Winehouse, Jade Goody. Jade Goody. Yeah. One of my favourite, one of my favourite, I had to... I had to put show her a picture of her getting out of a London a black cab. Yeah. And she was wearing one. Of, you remember when those drapey cutaway dresses were really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it didn't look great on her. And I showed her the picture and said, I'm really sorry, Jade, but my editor wants to get a comment about this picture oh, for a news piece. Oh, God. And you can imagine what it looked like. It didn't, it wasn't flattering in the slightest and it made her thighs look really big. Okay. So I've got to do this, which made, which I was very uncomfortable to do anyway. I showed her the picture and she took one look at it and she looked at me, burst out laughing, went, who do I think I am, girls allowed or something? And I just thought, (laughs) I've fallen in love with you forever and ever. And so, yeah, we've seen people during our tenure die, disintegrate. Yeah. And I must admit, I look at someone like Britain and think, I've been in the same room. I've had a conversation with her. Yeah. How, knowing how many people were around her, how has that been allowed to happen? I don't know. Are we, is that machine, does it just chew people up and spit them out like that? Well, it doesn't chew everybody up, but I mean, it, uh, it, it's it's very few people that have got through it, isn't it? I mean, look at Ed Sheeran and Adele. They're the biggest artists in the world. They're kind of quiet and they're kind of just doing the normal thing. We don't know that much about their private life mm. and they just get on with it and they can cope with it. I think America's a massive beast and... The whole, well, we know from a number of other people when you're a child or young star that develops mm. within the industry, you know, even people like Billie Piper, you've got, I've got so much respect for her because God, you know, she could have really ended up mm-hmm. going down that road at the Britneys and she was kind of what, 15 when she got her first number one mm-hmm. and she halted that entire machine and said, no, I'm not doing it anymore. Dip back in with Doctor Who experienced that fame again but she was dealing with stuff that she only you know just started to deal with from when she was a teen Mm. so i think it's probably about the team that's behind you and people's intentions it's never going to be easy to navigate that is that why you started doing pr i mean i definitely yeah i mean it's one of the reasons i think celebrity journalism was just not as we said going anywhere and i think that that was quite hard to deal with i didn't I'm not a Love Island person. I'm not. I just, as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot of things that um, are inciting people to just be stupid nowadays. It Mm. doesn't feel, there's not much common sense. You know, I've got great respect for someone like Kim Kardashian because she's gone and done a law degree and she's, you know, she's clearly been doing a lot, but then she just ruins it by making a dick of herself on social media. And I'm like, oh God, Mm. it's such a conundrum because you're just thinking these girls, they're just, they just want attention all the time and they've got brilliant mommies really good in business and she's made this empire but god if you watched the last season of the kardashians which i did it's the first time that i watched it and i went oh they're all mentally really fucked up mm. you know chloe looks like she's on the edge of having an anxiety attack every single day it's it's there's definitely an air of sadness that i think comes with that amount of fame Yes. And maybe, you know, in the nicest possible way, I get that they're, they've done very well for themselves, but there isn't talent there. There's no talent. 
Yeah, but I do, but that's not a in, in an old school way. Yeah, you know that's it's it's very different. You know because nowadays, as a modern day celebrity, talent isn't the forefront. Mm. But unfortunately, I've just been on that cusp where I still remember, and I have got rid of people that were on my books as PR clients because I said to them, "You've got to go and get your passport today. What do you put in occupation?" And they couldn't tell me. Right. I went okay that needs to be like a real prerequisite of who I work with mm. because I can't work with someone like that. You know, I'm not interested in Love Island people that, you know, they go to these agents or agencies or PR people who immediately can turn around and get them their, I don't know, their 200 grand deal with chuck away clothing that's harming the environment. And they have this, oh, yeah. you know, there's all of this, there's a real process that goes with being on Love Island now mm. But, you know, ultimately, the show is just, what is it doing to people? What is it doing to our teenagers? Mm. It's got to the point where, at least when we were journalists, they were people were growing up going, okay, cool. Well, I don't know, I could be a presenter, or I could be a singer, or I could have that kind of career. Now people are just this ITV generation of, oh, yeah, I'm going to go on that show and just wear some really slutty outfit and then everyone's going to like me and buy my tanning products. It was aspirational and it was inspirational back in the day. It was like, wow, look at what these people have done from nothing. Yeah, That was the thing. It was like they were alchemists. They had created this incredible life and career for themselves where they earned loads of money and life looked really good. But yeah. they 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 really worked for it. Yeah, And that that's the element that's missing now I think I mean, you don't big, get to report on the journey you just get to report on the destination yeah and I think Big Brother as well you know it's different isn't it because we've got it, it that felt like normal people going into mm. a show especially those early ones and you know I know people like Kate Lawler or Matt Allison and all of those Brian Dowling uh, Dowling Dowling yeah. Dowling yeah and so they're all you know people that have really made a career of where they've come from and they're fantastic mm. and Kate's a brilliant presenter yeah and I'd always fight for her corner because I just think she's great but they took that, the opportunity they did but they did it in a much more kind of natural way and they all work with people that are about furthering your career and longevity mm. it just doesn't feel like it's there anymore and also having been in PR in the last two years ooh, working for clients and you know they get offered two grand to post about something or do a story it's the most unfulfilling job in the world mm. having to orchestrate that <laughs> it's <bet>. bullshit <laughs> there's got to be more you talked earlier about the stitching up and i want to revisit that if we may because sure. you've talked about because i think it's a really interesting story in that caroline flack was one of the names that you mentioned yeah and caroline is now no longer with us yeah and you didn't have a great relationship with her, and then you did. We started on bad terms. Do you want me to explain it all? Okay, so we started on bad terms. Um, well, actually, we didn't start on bad terms, but basically when she was on Extra Factor, she got together with Harry Styles, and I was the journalist who wrote the story about those two getting together backstage. Mm. Now, just to paint a picture of how it worked with X Factor in those days, stories were fed from the show to all of the journalists. You know, we all got calls from different people. We all had our person backstage at X Factor. They they wanted the drama. That was the judges. There was drama. Mm -hmm. You know, people like Danny Minogue were kind of swept up into that. She mm -hmm. couldn't really cope with it. Sharon probably could because she's like a battle axe and mm -hmm. she can thrive in it. But, you know, it was a huge thing for someone like Caroline who she she wasn't able to 
really fully embrace the celeb, the fame side of things, mm. especially after that when social media came in and people were in her face. Mm. But when she got together with Harry, you know, the story got given to me from somebody who was backstage and they were friends with her. Mm. You know, this is, A, that's a shitty way to start the story because, which only now when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, well, no wonder because... Her friends were just selling her out all the time. That's a really difficult thing to kind of get your head around. Then to make matters worse, I wrote the story. And I think I, I, the exact phrase, but I, you know, she was 32, Harry was 18. Mm. And I described it. Was it 32 or 28? I don't know. You have to check that. There was a, there was, was a significant a big, age. Difference. Yeah. It was like 16 years. And I basically described it as creepy, which, um, you know, when you're backstage and you saw Harry in those days, they were boys. Do you know what I mean? They were they were young boys. My biggest regret is being in the One Direction dressing room and having no <laughs> interest whatsoever. <laughs> um, but, you know, the after that story came out, obviously it was a big story and it got followed up everywhere. Mm. She was receiving a lot of a lot of terrible direct messages on Twitter and it became a lot for her. Mm. And that was an immediate regret because she wasn't a bad person. And we, you know, we did have a really good relationship. We had a, about two years where, you know, if I turned up, we'd have harsh words. She was she it was the start of her just feeling the press and the attention from the public mm. becoming too much. We we kind of made up. We had a little row at awards do, and Ollie Mers was there. It was all really embarrassing. But then after a couple more years of me still being in the industry, I started doing the PR for Body Camp. Mm. And then that's where we kind of really connect as humans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had left and I wanted to look after myself a lot better and to work on my mindfulness and well-being. And so I got her to come out and have time out from the world mm -hmm. at Body Camp. And she loved it, you know, for her to just properly put her phone down, be in an all-inclusive place where egos were left at the door. And she didn't feel like people were watching her mm. all the time. Because don't forget, when we first started in 2001, we didn't even have camera phones. If we wanted to go out, we could go out, out. Mm -hmm. You know, you were in a club and you were next to P. Diddy and Emma Bunton was there. And, you know, like we were all just hanging out. Mm. It was a safer place. But for her, it's really easy to see that she wasn't equipped to deal with the penetrating force of a social media world. Mm. And that, I believe, is ultimately why she's no longer with us. Because it was far too much. Mm. Yeah. Have you done that horrible what if what if you hadn't made up yeah i've definitely done it. i mean look we made up like a, a long time before she actually died but there was definitely a what if when she was you know towards the end when we were doing another body camp and i was trying to get her to go mm. and we were talking she was really close to going and the boyfriend at the time she then said she wanted to go with her. And I said, oh, no, 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 go on your own. Like, go on your own and have time out because I know from experience of going on your own, you're going to get a lot more from it. Mm -hmm. And she didn't. Mm. So, and it was not long after. In fact, I think it was a good, only a couple of weeks. Oh, dear. So, Dean. yeah. But you, it's hard because everyone, there, there's not, 
you're not an enemy with any celebrity. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's only a game show. Like everyone knows that with the celebrity world, even the relation, like I hope at one point I'd be able to have a chat with Mylene. Mm. I've tried to make up with Jay. It's like we're, we're in this kind of pocket of celebrity, I guess. Mm. And the reality is we're all human beings. It's interesting you describe it as a game show, actually. But it is. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. And the minute it goes wrong for people, it's when they don't consider it like that. Mm. And I, I feel like that was one of Caroline's downfalls is that, you know, she was so affected by that online targeting and social media. And, you know, she was very sensitive when it came to people at ITV not supporting her over uh, Love Island. And, you know, they them putting her on a ban and getting rid of her and it's and then really supporting their male hosts it's bullshit mm. and i don't understand why people get away with it and then you know the first thing you do well, first thing i did which i did very naturally when i left celebrity journalism is i stopped watching all of those shows mm-hmm. i stopped watching it because how many freaking panel shows where we're pitting women against women and it was seeing the machine behind it and the puppet master t- tactics of beating up people mentally is ghastly. Mm. And it's going on and on. Look at the all of these kids from X Factor that have, are now taking out their issue with, um, with the show and mm-hmm. what ITV and the X Factor bubble did to them. It's no big surprise that people are coming out there and they're still damaged goods. It's so, it's in plain sight. We can see how damaging it all is. It's not rocket science, guys. It really isn't. And we can all see it. And yet we are participating and not exiting still. Yeah. yeah. En masse. What, how, how, if you, do you have an answer? Do you have a solution? Do you know what my biggest solution is to all of this? Stop watching it. Mm. Stop following it. Turn it off. But people are addicted to it. They are because that's the, the next addiction, isn't it? Mm. And it's, you know, we're all complete slaves to the rhythm. But, I've you know, I've been having really good Insta breaks. Mm. And I've muted a lot of things. <laughs> Muting is one of the greatest Mute is the best. Abilities because ever. then they don't hate you <laughs> when they see. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely quite forward thinking with the just stop. You were extremely successful, even though we know that perhaps this, um, what looked like a very shiny world was quite a tarnished world. Yeah. You were extremely successful in it. And I'm sh- people would have told you all the time that you were really good at what you did, that you were important, you were a key part of the machine. How, since you've left, have you been able to measure your success? And do you feel successful now? Uh, I do. Yeah, I do feel successful. It's quite hard to kind of take a compliment sometimes, isn't it? Mm. I think especially when you've kind of come out of that world and, you know, there's certain things that I've done in my career when I went to PR that I'm really proud of. One was when I worked with Melanie C and to relaunch an album, like one of her big album comebacks, we wrote an essay on celebrity and so we wrote it together. 
And it was all about fame and about the Spice Girls and about where she was in life. Obviously, at the end, she put, what did she put? She was like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't want to go back on tour with the Spice Girls two years later. <laughs> the biggest tour that they'd ever done. But, you know, there's there's elements of what I've learned that I'm putting back into my clients. Mm-hmm. And that I'm really proud of. But I'm also proud that 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 showbiz world and the social media element and all of that side isn't ruling where I am personally. Mm. Because I feel like that's, yeah, I kind of hope that if if it wasn't what I did for a living, then I wouldn't have to be on it. It's, it's interesting. I remember when I started, so you were at the Sutton Guardian and we both <laughs> talked about this, like I was at um, a local newspaper before I started on OK. Yeah. And honestly, like the week before I started on OK, I think I was do- covering a cake sale at a church fete. Oh, God. And it was it was perfectly lovely. It was very social and all of those things. But it felt like when I got the job on OK, it was as though there was a speeding train going past and you had to grab it. But once you grabbed it, you were off. Oh yeah, and there was no, there was no pausing. There was no, you, the only way to get off was to let go. No, and it was kind of terrifying because you were going at breakneck speed. You really, really were. Yeah, I lost my dad as well when I was right in the middle of that. Jeez. Yeah. So when I was at closer, uh, yeah. So I'd kind of, I got through the initial bits of journalism, and then I'd, yeah, lost dad. So that's sixteen years ago now. And so I was like trying to compete with everything, but very quickly realized that I was just numbing myself every time I went out, you know, and I kind of got into bad ways. I was drinking far too much and it wasn't really until like therapy 10 years later that there was so much to deal with and to kind of work through. Mm. So I'm a big advocate for, you know, talking to people and getting it all out. In the therapy, was it, Obviously, you lost your father, and I'm really sorry about no, that. No, don't worry. But yeah. when you were unraveling all of it, was the environment that you were trying to grieve in the worst possible environment? Yeah, I think it was. I th- well, yeah, numbing is the biggest mm. thing because, you know, you're going to parties where everything is on tap. You know, the party was not stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was getting to the point where you'd be going to work straight from the party and you were realising that you were being a bit of a dick. You know, the editor... Did anyone tell you that you were a dick? Or Do you did know you what? There were a couple it? of people. Caroline Barrett, who we know, she's great. I was very lucky that she was my boss. Mm-hmm. So she's at The Telegraph now and she she could see what was going on and she was like, okay, you know, because you were getting a call going, where are you? And I was in, I'm in Paris Hilton suite at the the Met. It's 9am. And I was like, oh God, okay, cool. (laughs) Right, better go for a sleep and then I'll go straight to work. You know, it was kind of getting like that, but Mm -hmm. I'm very lucky that I wasn't sucked into that whole really gritty Mm. kind of uh, addicts and, you know, people that uh, just focus, they're just they're just ticking over by constantly topping up. I always knew that there was a point. There's always a stop point, mm-hmm. which was fortunate. Uh, and you got called out. <laughs> and I got called out. You know, there were a few people, and also my old school friends. You know, my real old girlfriends who I'd started at Winton School in '91, mm. who are still my best friends today. Who will say to me if I'm out of line? They'll be like. 
you all right? Are you looking after yourself? You know, because they've all got kids. They've all got blockers that stop them from having fun. Whereas I don't have any of that. So mm. I'm like, right, let's fly here. Let's do this. Let's go mad, you know, and I can have fun. But I've always had, <laughs> which I think is quite a nice way of living, which I'm not sure whether a lot of people will agree with. But, um, you know, I, when you start to party to enhance your night, well, to prolong your night, that's when the issue becomes an issue. Oh, interesting. If you party to enhance your night, so, you know, have a few drinks, go for a dance, great. But when you start to prolong and you're like, right, where are we going next? What's, you know. Oh, interesting. I'm, so I'm very lucky because I'm not a, you know, I'm not a 6 a.m. finisher now. <laughs> Were you? I was definitely, you know, in my late 20s when I was after dad, mm. I was, that was becoming a, an issue. Not going back to reality. Let's just keep yeah, going. Yeah. But then saying that, you know, I've met some of my best friends at 5 a.m. at the party when they walked in and they remain my friends now. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of my friends are clean and serene now. So, you know, the way that we socialize has completely changed. And that's, I'm really thankful for because I love nothing more than going for a breakfast <laughs> <laughs> and knowing that I'm home at 6 p.m. You also look after Langens Brasserie and they do a phenomenal breakfast. They are very good. Um, before we end our time together, we are drawing to the end of our time together. I wanted to ask you about being social glue because I obviously had a perception of you from witnessing you at events yeah which is far removed from actually the reality of the human being who sits in <laughs> front of me today and what it's become really clear getting to know you researching you but also speaking to you today is you have a, a really incredible way of making people feel and getting getting people to trust you is the wrong way of describing it but it, it was definitely a, a good skill when i was a journalist yeah what wrap that nugget up for me what is it because people did really really like you and i i will be honest i could never <laughs> wait for me to finish this sentence well i could never understand it because i thought but isn't he gonna stitch you up yeah because i didn't understand actually what was going the tight on rate. yeah 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 um i don't know i i i'm quite a sensitive person mm. and i feel like that actually hindered my celebrity career because I wasn't willing to stitch people up unless there was a really good reason for it. Uh, and I was, I, I was kind of scared about the comeuppance afterwards and I didn't really want to, I'm really not good with confrontation and I didn't want that. Did you ever have anyone? Well, probably only the Jay Jagger one, which has gone on for bloody years and it's so boring that I've just told her that we're never going to be friends and I don't want to be friends. <laughs> so let's just move on. So yeah, but it's annoying because we've got mutual friends. So you oh, do no. still bump into people. Um, I think that, I think it's just down to your, your digital makeup, your, your makeup mm. and who your parents are and how normal everything was. Were you quite good at being able to sense when someone was being pushed too far? Because I think that for me is a is something I noticed. It was like I said at the beginning about sort of flogging people. I think some people keep going to see how far they can go, whereas it seems as though you'd be the one to say, oh, no, they've had enough now. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely, I was getting to the point with editors and with the makeup of a tabloid newspaper um, and the people around it, like the industry was very, mm. and... I didn't ever want to push them too far and I didn't want to, they always wanted more. 
Um, and I said earlier about the headline stuff, mm. you know, we were, I'm sure you were probably doing some like Cheryl Cole, for example, you were probably doing it for L'Oreal or going and doing like a beauty chat with her. Yeah. I'd have like the one tabloid interview. And as I'd leave to go, they'd say, right, we want Cheryl on her weight. We want Cheryl on Ashley Cole. Mm. We want this. And then I'd be sitting there just shitting my pants going, fuck, how am I going to get this fucking line? Because, you know, she was quite rightly so guarded about talking it was a hard interview because mm. she was so damaged by what had happened with the media and the fact that you know and and also the other thing that people don't get is the paparazzi and what she mm. went through with that it, that wasn't always the newspaper that's a separate entity Completely. a lot of the times those there's weird guys that will just sit outside people's houses and wait but they're not even on shift no you know they're just there because they're kind of weird yeah, it the particularly with Cheryl, yeah, I do or with anyone actually who I did a beauty interview with, if they could potentially yeah. sell the cover, then that would be I would have an agreement, the cover would appear and there would be a cover line that would have nothing to do with the conversation I had. But Happened who do you think Victoria she's Beckham as well, yeah. Who do you think she's gonna be mad at the next time she sees yeah. them? Yeah. It happened with Victoria. Yeah, with Victoria it happened as well. And that was annoying because I knew all the girls and mm. I don't think Victoria's done a tabloid interview since because she doesn't trust anyone. And that was just silly as well because she basically I think I think the interview that I did made her too real. That was what she didn't like. Right. And she swore a couple of times and her mum was really annoyed that she'd swore. And it was in the headline saying, If people think I'm fucking miserable, then so be it. Mm. And that really drove her mad but then i get in trouble with the pr i've gone and had a brilliant time with victoria beckham and mm. think oh this is going to be a great interview and then i'm just like ripped to shreds the minute the paper drops and they're like dean it's a tightrope i didn't know you were walking and i guess i was walking my own but i did i didn't realize yours is way more perilous it was uh, yeah but i don't i actually looking back on it i don't think that many people did what i did mm, i no. don't i don't think they did no, because they were too far in one camp or the other. You yeah. really were in the middle. Yeah, I did. Which was extreme. We are, we've come to the end of our time together. So I'm just going to ask you a final question. What makes you hopeful about the future? What makes me hopeful? I think, I think aging is kind of making me a bit hopeful. And That's actually, a brilliant answer. yeah, it, things are getting calmer the older I'm getting. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But I guess if you've had a life of partying like I have, it's only got to get karma. <laughs> Is that because you've seen it all before? Kinda. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, you know, dangerously excited to get home and put slippers on nowadays. Dangerous. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure we could have quite a long conversation about what slippers that we, we favour. Because yeah. I definitely have I got one. the most amazing dressing gown recently. <laughs> And it's living on me right now. <laughs> Who would have thought years ago when we were in the Mandarin Oriental waiting our turn to speak to celebrities that we'd be here all these years later talking about leisure wear. Yeah. <laughs> slippers. slippers all the way. Um, huh? It's been so lovely to chat to you. Thank you. It's been Thanks, good. Dean. It's cathartic. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure you're subscribed so you never miss a show. And why not tell a friend about the podcast? If you want to watch what happens behind the scenes, then head over to my Instagram where I'm at Emma Guns. And if you want to get in touch with me and share any risks, obstacles, challenges or curveballs that you've faced and overcome, then tell me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. And it may feature in one of the midweek shows. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you on the next one.